0: For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes should not perish but have everlasting life His mercy. The very heartbeat of God that says, I don't want to punish you for what you've done. I want to let it go. It extends all the way to the place of saving us and redeeming us, forgiving us that we might be saved. We couldn't save ourselves. We needed mercy to do it. Thank you for joining us today. In this fourth sermon of the Besides the Water Sermon Series, we will turn our focus to the mercy of God. We all need it. And thank God He has enough mercy for all of us. Listen in today as Pastor Joplin Emerson explains why knowing about God's mercy, understanding how it works, and why it matters is crucial to having peace in our hearts. I wanted to start with Luke chapter 18 because um, we see this righteous Pharisee, self-righteous, that really is proud of himself, comes to God thanking God he's such a great guy and basically he isn't like everyone else in the world. And then we see this tax collector that knows exactly who he is and simply is uh, it's too humble to even look up and ask anything of God. Instead, his head's down, he's beating his chest, and he's just honest before God, and he says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus says this tax collector is the one who's actually going to go down righteous before God, not the other. And this morning as we study the topic of mercy, there are a few things that I just want us to look at in this passage before getting to our main points. First of all, notice who is being addressed. It is God. Think about that simple statement, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. It is God this morning that we are talking about when I'm talking about mercy. It's a whole other thing for me to expect you to extend mercy to me. Because in many ways, we are all the same. We have all failed. We have all fallen short. We have all sinned. We've all done selfish things before. We've all hurt others before in one way or another. And for me to expect you to extend me a little mercy would make sense. But we are talking about God this morning, the eternal creator, maker of heaven and earth. This is who this sinner addresses when he says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. We have to. First, grasp the greatness of God, who it is that's extending mercy. We've got to have a grasp of that before understanding how beautiful mercy is to us and why it should bring us peace. This is the one God, the only eternal creator God, that all of us are going to stand before and give an account to. Knowing that He is willing to extend mercy is a game changer, brothers and sisters. There, that is the request of God, be merciful. You need to understand what mercy is this morning as, we begin to, as I begin to preach on it. Um, you could say that mercy is the sister of grace or the cousin of grace. There is a, a, a relation, but there are two different things. Next week I will be preaching entirely on grace. Mercy is when somebody that has the power to punish you, rightfully so, chooses not to. Grace is really the opposite spectrum when somebody that has the power to bless you just because out of the goodness of their heart they choose to do so. It's undeserved. So mercy is the withholding of just punishment. Grace is the giving of an undeserved reward. You can see there are actually two different things. And brothers and sisters, we all need mercy. If there be one Pharisee here underneath of us or amongst us, if you will, that uh, thinks to him or herself that you don't need the mercy of God, and you stand with your head held high and say, God, I'm so grateful I'm not like the rest of these wicked sinners. You are more deceived than any of us. And the ignorance and arrogance of that statement in and of itself shows just how blind you really are and how much mercy you really need. But we all need mercy. Mercy. It matters when we understand that we're talking about mercy from a good, pure, perfect, all-powerful, holy God. Because your sins might be different than mine. We could waste all of our times and just go down the line and see who was the most wicked of sinners amongst us. Take a vote and see whose life was the worst. But you know that we as people, we tend to judge what is wicked based upon our own kind of self-righteousness. It's like, whoa, that person did way worse than I did. He or she is worse than me. Well, when we compare ourselves to each other, we really have no concept of how wicked we are. What good does it do us to compare one wicked man to another wicked man? It's a waste of time. And in the end, we don't answer to one another. We don't measure up to one another. There's not a single one of us here this morning that will be the measuring stick upon which God measures the rest of us. We answer to a perfect, holy God and come up with the most wicked who are. If we were to do that worthless waste of time and not only come up with the most wicked of sinners, but come up with the one that is least of all that person would still be guilty of and worthy of death before God for their sins against a holy and perfect God. And when we understand it's Him that we need mercy from, brothers and sisters, we all need mercy. I need it and you need it. Now here's the amazing thing about this message. We're going to find out that God is a wonderful, merciful Savior. The last thing I want to say before moving to my points this morning is In that statement, God be merciful to me, a sinner, that word me is mind-blowing to me. Not us. Not my people. Not my nation. Me. Individually, this incredible, unfathomable God that has all power, all knowledge... He cares about me. He cares about you. That He would take the time to turn His ear to you and listen to your cry for mercy Brothers and sisters, not only is that a little overwhelming fact, but I'm telling you, it ought to bring a little peace to your heart to know that while there's a lot of people that might not listen to you, you might feel like you are unimportant. You might feel like your voice never matters to anybody. You might feel like no matter how loud you try to scream in this world of chaos, nobody's listening. You need to know there is always one that is willing to listen to the cry of the sincere, repentant heart, and that is the God of heaven and earth, He is willing to listen to your individual plea for mercy and grace. That's awesome. Man, that's awesome. I spoke last week about the, uh, the, the love of God. And... To think that He would love an individual, that He he cares for us like He does. To think that He would listen to me, that He would listen to you. that He wants to. It's not like it's a nuisance to Him. He desires to. In fact, one of the primary reasons that Jesus shed His blood and died on the cross was so that we could be forgiven and re-enter, if you will, a relationship with God. So this morning, we're going to look specifically at the mercy of God. I want to share with you four aspects of God's mercy that will bring peace to your heart. Now, our first two are going to come from the same passage. We're already in Luke, so if you want to just back up to Luke chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 76 through 79. Luke chapter 1, verse 76 through 79. Into the way of peace. The first thing I want you to notice, verse 77, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins, the first thing we learn about God's mercy is that it is a forgiving mercy. His mercy is a forgiving mercy. I'm going to share a principle with you this morning that's a really important principle to understand about forgiveness. I actually think forgiveness is one of the least understood um, words in the Christian church. They don't actually know what it means. Forgiveness is the releasing of debt. That's what it is. It is the releasing of debt. In fact, that word is still used today in our society to deal with what is called debt forgiveness. Somebody may get into debt. They might lose their job of some sort, be unable to pay their bills back, work with creditors, and when the creditors choose to release a certain portion of what was owed, it is called debt forgiveness. You might remember the story that Jesus told the parable concerning forgiveness of that 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 person that owed a ton of money and was thrown into prison. Consequently, he pled his case with the uh, uh, the the. Master, the king, if you will, and the king said, You know what? Go home to your family, you are forgiven of your debt. And if you remember, that person that was forgiven a bunch, he's on his way home and he sees over there on the other side of the street somebody that owed him like five bucks. And in his rage, he goes and he grabs the man and he's just shaking him in essence and saying, You've got to pay me what you owe me. This man says, I don't have it right now. Give me some time. And he says, no, you're going to jail. You owe me a little bit of money. And if you remember the story, the king gets wind of this and hears, wait a second, that one person that I forgave a ton of money wanted someone else thrown in prison for just owing a little tiny portion? And the king sent and got that man, and it says he put him back in and made him stay there until he paid the last penny. Jesus, this is the biggest parable Jesus ever gives about forgiveness. I want you to notice something. Both examples are about money, they're about owing somebody something. Now, forgiveness says this whatever you owed me, you don't owe me anymore. Zero. Now, you need to understand, though, that forgiveness does not equal reconciliation. Reconciliation is when both parties make things right. And you'll find that a lot of times one of the other parties doesn't want to make things right. They refuse to acknowledge they've ever did any wrong. They refuse to ask for forgiveness. They refuse to to change. And you're going to find that you can forgive somebody that has done that to you that owes you something. You can say, you don't owe me anything anymore, but that doesn't mean you're necessarily going to want to be around the person all the time if there is no reconciliation. And I've seen Christians that have felt like, some of them have been belittled into believing that unless they want to be around somebody all the time and be best friends and everything be like it once used to be, that they haven't forgiven. Maybe you haven't. But that's not always the case. Because reconciliation requires more than just forgiveness. The fact that God is willing to forgive you doesn't mean He has yet. You might be a sinner here this morning headed on your way to hell. And I'm telling you, God's willing to forgive you of your sins. But you want to be reconciled to Him. There's going to be a part on yours. You're going to have to own what you've done. You're going to have to call out your sins. You're going to have to confess to God and you're going to have to be willing to turn to Him, repent of your sins and follow Him. And until you're willing to do that... The forgiveness doesn't necessarily save you. This is important because a lot of times I think that we can live in condemnation and guilt thinking, well, I haven't forgiven somebody because I don't want to be around them. And you just might not want to if they refuse to acknowledge what they've done. If there is absolutely no change whatsoever, you're not going to feel safe around them. But you know what forgiveness does? This is an important thing to understand. It releases me from feeling like you owe me something. Let's just say, you know, one of these guys here in the front row owes me hundred bucks, and I am torn up by it. I'm mad about it. And he's mad about it because he don't think he owes it to me anymore. If I wait the rest of my life until he pays up before I can feel good, guess what? I'm a hostage to him. And so when I'm willing to say, you know what? This thing's done. I'm not necessarily saying what you did was right, I'm not saying it was justified. All I'm saying is, buddy, you don't owe me anything anymore. I don't even want the payment. And now I'm free. You don't owe owe me anything. So I don't have to live the rest of my life feeling like, oh, I'll never be happy until he says he's sorry. I'll never be happy until they make things right. I'll never be happy until, you know, I am paid what I was owed for what happened to me. Forgiveness says I release it all. Now, it's real important that you understand something about forgiveness, right? So, I shared an application here that kind of helps between human to human interaction, but I want to talk to you now, understanding what forgiveness is, I want to look at the fact that mercy, we're talking about mercy this morning, your life, you owe God something, your life. There is a payment for sins. In fact, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. That's pretty much what it deserves if you're going to turn your back on the God that created you, the God that loved you, the God that formed you in His image, the God that has a perfect plan for your life, the God who is only good and always good, and you turned your back on Him and you went your own way and you became your own God. The Bible teaches us that that offense is worthy of death. There's something that should be done about it. And God is just in saying, you owed me. But here's what you need to know this morning. Remember, God will keep us in perfect peace when our mind is stayed on Him. You need to know something about God's mercy. It's a forgiving mercy. God don't expect you to make it up. There's not some timetable that God says, you've served yourself and the devil for 20 years. You better get to going because I'm not sure you've got another 20 left, but let's get these, t- these scales tipped back the other way and you pay for what you've done. It's not the way it works. And thank God that it's not. Because none of us could truly pay the debt that we would owe to this God that is perfect and holy in all of His ways. But the Bible teaches us that His mercy is a forgiving mercy. God looks at what we've done and He says the debt is paid in full. And it was paid. He's the one that paid it. That's what what else is mind-blowing about it. He sent His Son to pay it on our behalf so that on one hand on justice, He could say it's been paid. On the other hand in mercy, He could say you don't have to pay it. This morning, have you taken time recently to think about all that God has forgiven you for? Or do we stand like the Pharisee, ignorant of the fact that we need mercy? Unthankful for the mercy that God has extended. We all need mercy. Notice number two, same verse, not our text. Not only is His mercy a forgiving mercy, but His mercy is a tender mercy. What's it say in verse 29? Because of the tender mercy of God. It's tender. I think, um, I anyways, I can't speak for you, but I have a hard time sometimes picturing this powerful, almighty, omnipotent God being tender with wicked folks like me. I used to have a hard time picturing that way. Soft and gentle. That's how it was in my life when I got saved. And I'll tell you, I've tasted the tender mercy of God more times than I can even explain, but nothing really parallels to the time that I got saved. I was at the height of my wickedness. I deserved death. I was a terrible person. And yet, in that place, in that state of 20 years, I hadn't served God, had no love for God, had no care for the things of God. I was my own God. I went after my own way. 20 years of that, and it was like, rather than God coming down on me and hammering me, how could you do this, you terrible person? How could you live so horrible, you terrible person? Instead, it was like this tenderness of God coming towards me, Like, like, son, I have a plan for your life. You you don't want to you don't want to go this way anymore. You know that you don't, Joplin. And I'll never forget when I actually heard the Lord speak to me, if you've ever heard my testimony, just that still small voice at that church service where God said back to me this passage that I'd read, ask and it'll be given to you. Seek and you'll find, knock, and the door will be open. And, and, and even then, it was like, rather than God just forcing himself on me, it was like God revealed himself to me. He said, Son, I am real. I am who I say I am. And now, it's your choice. And it was almost as if in my mind, I, I couldn't see God physically. I didn't hear him audibly. This was going on in this inner voice, if you will, in my heart. But it was almost like in my mind, then God stepped back very tenderly and just gave me my space. Like, what are you going to do now? And I just remember I became so overwhelmed. I began weeping. I began crying. I thought to myself, why didn't God kill me? If God's real, all of a sudden it's like He's real and He knows everything I've done, why wouldn't He just let me die? And I recognized that God loved me, a wicked sinner like me. And I just began to weep and I began to cry. You need to know that God's mercy is a tender mercy. So many of us, at times, we feel like God is just up there waiting to come down with the the heavenly paddle. If you've listened to me preach more than twice, you probably know I preach it hard sometimes. And I believe that we need to serve God with all of our heart, soul, and strength. And I believe there should be zero excuses for out pandering around in sin. And never in a thousand lifetimes would I um, pander to, advocate, or explain some way, or explain away why, you know, sin, it's evil, it's wicked, we need to resist it, we need to God is not some mean, angry God just waiting to trounce on you when you blow it. I'm going to tell you something, brothers and sisters. This Christian walk—it is a journey. I'm still learning. Twenty years in, I don't know it all. I don't have it all figured out. It is a journey. The Bible, and there is a very real enemy that wants to trip you up and wants to get you off course. And wants, he's, hes the Bible says that really Satan wants to do nothing except steal, kill, and destroy. That's his mission. So what he wants to do with your faith. It's what he wants to do with your Christian walk. He wants to steal it. He wants to kill it. He wants to destroy it. Let me tell you what that means in a very real tangible way. It means you are at times going to come under attack, and unless you're stronger than the rest of us, you're probably eventually going to fall one way or the other at certain times. And I'm telling you it's in those moments, right? We're talking about having a peace, in this life of ours, having a heart that's ruled by peace, it's in those moments you're going to have to remember that God is not only merciful, but He is tender in how He handles His children. Because what the enemy will do... I know because he's tried it in my life and at times been successful. He'll want you to feel like, well, you're such a terrible person. You're such a failure. How could you do that thing? How could you think that thought? How could you act that way today? How could you find yourself uh, compromising in a way you hadn't compromised like that in so long? And all of a sudden, you know what happens? Instead of our, our, our heart and our mind being lifted heavenward, we start to put our heads down. We start to meditate on how terrible we are. We start to think, why would I do something like that? God is good, and I know God's good, and I knew what was right, and I knew what was wrong, and I still did what was wrong, and we start to think, maybe I'm not a Christian at all, maybe I'm just a terrible person, and all of a sudden we start questioning everything. We start questioning our devotion, we start questioning church, we start questioning God. We start questioning at the very core who we are as the enemy just tries to pile on. You're terrible, you're terrible, you're terrible. It's in those moments... You're going to find peace. You're going to have to learn to do what I've been talking about over and over and over again in the last few weeks. Quit looking in the mirror. The Bible never said you'll find peace by doing this. <laughs> looking inside. In fact, the longer you look in here, the more disturbed you're going to be. It's just a fact. We've got to look away and look to Jesus and recognize that I stand right before God not because of my ability to never need mercy. I stand right before God because God is a God of mercy and He's willing to forgive the debt. Because God loves me like nobody else has ever loved me. And He is tender with me. You need to know this morning, no matter where you're at, no matter how hard you failed, no matter how far you feel away, God's mercy is a tender mercy. Mercy. And if you need to meet with God this morning, you need to be restored to God this morning, you need to know God's not sitting up here just waiting for you to come so He can slam down that hammer and say, I told you so. He is a God of tender mercy and He loves you and He will deal with you tenderly because that is who He is. His mercy is a forgiving mercy. It is a tender mercy. Number three. Let's turn to Titus chapter 3. Verses 4 through 7. Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 7. The last thing I want to say about uh, His tender mercy before moving on. God's mercy is so tender that He visited us. God's mercy is so real that He cares enough to come to you to where you are, to speak to your heart individually. Do you imagine the President of the United States showing up at your house just to talk to you about whatever your specific need was? It's something none of us would ever anticipate, nor should we. But God cared enough, not only in visiting us individually, but He sent His Son to to live here and take on the form of flesh, He visited us to make Himself known to us. I go back to that day I was saved and it was like for me, there was a moment it seemed like everything blacked out and there wasn't anybody in the room but me and God. There was a real moment I had forgot that my girlfriend was even there. Totally forgot. It was just me and just God. It was like that personal He visits us. The third thing I want us to see this morning is that His mercy is a saving mercy. Look at Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 7. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, notice, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, who He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. In verse 5, we see these words paired together. He saved us according to His own mercy. His mercy is not only forgiving mercy, That's important. I need to know that whatever I owed, it's been released. I don't have to pay it back. I don't have to spend 20 years paying off the 20 years of bad living that I did. And the same thing applies as a Christian. You might have a bad week. You might have a bad day. You need to thank God that His mercy extends to His sons and daughters too. If He was willing to forgive us and love us while we were yet sinners, how much more is He willing to show mercy and love and grace to us as we are now His children? You need to know when you blow it and you have a bad day, when you find yourself sinning, you need to repent, you need to stop, and you need to get it right, but you need to understand something. You don't have to pay it back. God's not up there saying, all right, now the bank is this way. Uh, you're going to have to uh, pray for two hours the next three days in a row. You're going to need to get a good solid fast in and six consecutive church services, and we'll be square. God forgives, but not only does He forgive, He saves. This is a bigger word, because you and I didn't just need forgiven. We needed saved. Saved. Saved from what, brothers and sisters? A devil's hell. You need to know that God saved us from a devil's hell. Never meant for us. Wasn't designed and created for us. But there will be a multitude of us, humans, that are there. And it's not because God's mercy wasn't strong enough to save them, but because they rejected God's mercy. Hell is not filled with people that God rejected. Hell is filled with people that rejected God. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believed should not perish but have everlasting life. His mercy, His his heart... The very heartbeat of God that says, I don't want to punish you for what you've done. I want to let it go. It extends all the way to the place of saving us and redeeming us, forgiving us that we might be saved. We couldn't save ourselves. We needed mercy to do it. It still takes God's mercy today. There's no no other route. All of us here, we can't decide that we're all going to get together and do a bunch of good deeds to pay off your wickedness so that you can go to heaven. You need mercy. That's what you need. And God's the only one that can extend it. You need His forgiveness. All of us do. Final thing I want us to note this morning about the mercy of God is that His mercy is a responding mercy. Look with me at Hebrews chapter 4. We're going to read verses 14 through 16 and then have an emphasis on verse 16. But Let's read together Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every aspect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Notice verse 15 um, that we have a high priest, that being Jesus, who's able to sympathize with our weaknesses. I want you to think about uh, what I'm about to share with you. It's kind of a deep thought this morning. We'll throw a deep thought in here. Earlier I spoke about us showing one another mercy because we kind of were able to relate. Here we have the idea of sympathy. Being able to truly relate with somebody because we've been tempted by what they've been tempted by. I would argue that unless... Um, you've been through a tragic death of a spouse while your children were still living in the home. That it's difficult for you to really know what that feels like. And if you have been through something that tragic, you'll find that your ability to truly sympathize and relate with others going through the same thing is heightened. It's just the way that it is. You'll find that if you've, never had a child of yours turn and run the wrong way and run off into terrible living and terrible decisions, that you don't really know how to truly relate with someone else that's going through the same thing. Now, follow me here. We are actually able to relate according to what degree we have suffered the same thing. Now, consider this. Resisting temptation. You realize you never actually know how bad sin is and how bad temptation is until the point you're willing to give in to it. Every time you feel like running out and sinning, you just do it. You don't really know what it's like to resist that sin. You have no idea how hard it can be. To resist it. Until you've gone all the way of being willing to actually die. The Bible says to us that you and I have not resisted sin to the point of bloodshed. I'm going to tell you what I believe about that verse. Real important comma, Joplin believes this. It's my interpretation of the verse. This is what I believe about it. I believe that's actually a reference not to the cross, but to what happened in the Garden of Gethsemane. Luke, the, the Gospel of Luke tells us that Jesus' sweat became as great drops of blood. And we know that this was the worst of all temptations. It's the only time in his life recorded for us that he prayed. He prayed, God, if there's any other way, take this cup from me. Three times he prayed that. He didn't want to do it. He was being tempted to say, I don't want to do what God's leading me to do. I don't want to go to the cross. I don't want to suffer this pain. I would rather preserve myself and go the other direction. And Jesus resisted that temptation. He resisted that urge. It was so strong, the Bible teaches us to the point that his sweat became like drops of blood. There's an actual medical condition that was happening there. Now, Here's what we learn here about the tender mercy of God. I want you to think about whatever your struggle is. I want you to think about what your worst two or three sins is. The ones you have a really hard time resisting. I'm going to pick one of you to stand up and tell us what it is. No, I'm just just (laughs) kidding. Just kidding. But I want you to think about it. What is it? What happens in your life that brings you to that point that you're like, forget it, I'm giving in, I can't take it anymore, just do it. Just get it over with. I'll deal with the shame later. I'm just going to do it anyways. What brings you to that point? Here's what you need to know. You have a high priest that can sympathize with you, and there is absolutely no degree of temptation you have ever suffered that he has not suffered more. He understands and can sympathize with you. Kind of makes me feel weak at times when I need to go to the Lord and when I recognize what He was, you know, how, how He resisted it. And then I feel like, well, I can't even resist half the time when I'm, you know, keep I can't even have a good attitude all the time. And I remember that He's tender towards me. He understands. He knows and He can sympathize with us. Now look at this last statement. Verse 16, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. His mercy is a responding mercy. In other words, when we call out to Him and when we come to Him, He is quick to provide mercy. I love this this word confidence here. It is literally confidence. Some versions translate it boldly. Both of them make sense, though. We can boldly, confidently go to the throne of grace. I was thinking about this because obviously I already knew what I was preaching this morning. And uh, at our 9 o'clock service, as we're learning about the book of Isaiah, uh, Gary was teaching on the ability we have now to enter into the throne room of God and how the veil was torn in the uh, Holy of Holies when Jesus died on the cross and and now there's not, we're actually, all of us, we don't need the high priest once a year to go on our behalf. We can go, and this scripture came to my mind, not only can we go before God, we can go confidently. Now, I want you to think one, one thing about this verse. When are we going here? We can come confidently to the throne that we may receive mercy. I pray that the Holy Spirit will help you see that like you need to see it. Because I'm telling you in my life, especially when I'm in the flesh, when I feel like I need mercy, that is the least confident I am to approach God. I kind of come in shame with my head down, my tail between my legs and I'm just really kind of scared to get in there and talk to God about it. I don't want to find that place of prayer. I don't want to get on my knees and pray. I'm ashamed. I want to say it again. God keeps those in perfect peace whose minds are stayed upon Him. We've got to get a correct view of God, and we've got to understand something about His mercy, even in our time of need, of mercy. We've done wrong. We should owe something. We got a debt that needs release. Even in that scenario, we are told that now, because of what Jesus did, we can still come boldly confidently to God, confidently to the throne. No fear, no worry whatsoever. I'm coming straight to the Father. And why? Not because I'm looking at me, but because I look at what Jesus did. And I know that what happened at, at, at Calvary paid for my sins, that God is a God of mercy. He is a God of tender mercy. He is a God of saving mercy. He is a God of responding mercy. And God will answer my prayer in my time of need. Oh, brothers and sisters, may God help us to believe that. Because that is the truth of Scriptures. We are so prone to look inward. So prone to shame ourselves. So prone to come up with reasons and excuses that we can't approach God. All of those reasons, every time, those reasons are one of two things. Either, number one, we're looking at ourselves and I'm not worthy and I did this and I did that. Stop it quit it you confess it to god and know that as god is faithful and just to forgive our sins when we confess them stop majoring and spending all your focus looking at your weaknesses and your failures and your sins and your stop it and start getting your eyes on jesus you'll find that when you get your eyes on christ it gives you perspective and direction to walk and move forward you get your eyes on yourself, you can just, it's just like this never-ending thing. When you try to fix this, and then this happens, and you're just constantly seeing the negative. God says, son, daughter, you can come boldly to my throne. Son, daughter, stop trying to pay for what I have already forgiven. There are people here, under the sound of my voice, you have spent your life trying to make yourself pay. You feel like it's the right thing to do. None of us want to be freeloaders. You feel like it's the right thing to do. What you did was so wrong, you ought to pay. I can't do more than I've done. There's just a plea with you to stop it and look to the mercy of God. Trust me, God's mercy is more than sufficient for you. It is more than sufficient for me. It is more than sufficient for all of us combined and all the people who have ever walked the planet. That we may receive mercy and find grace, notice these words in our time of need. There will be a time of need. This passage is written specifically to us, this is not a passage written to sinners. This is not a passage written to unbelievers. This is a passage of Scripture written to God's sons and daughters. Let us draw confident to our Father's throne of grace in our time of need. Here's the blessed fact. When we do, we will find the help that we need. We'll find the mercy that we need.